When a woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I can get uh, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands. You have had five, five husbands, and the man who, is, who now has you now have is not your husband. What you ha- have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and he has now come, when the true worship... Worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for there are, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, I will explain everything to, will explain everything to us. Then Jesus replied, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. How are you guys doing this morning? I was excited to start on this sermon series. If anybody who's ever had a personal conversation with me knows that this is my heartbeat, this is where we start to get real. You know what I mean? Like, since I've been here at Glenfair, there's been a lot of shakeup, right? I've done things a lot different. I think when you look at the reasons why, I see loving people who care, who want to impact, who want to be like Jesus. But what's happened a lot with the church just at large is is that we find that we're further and further separated from what the call is. The call is to make disciples. I'm going to say that again. The call is to make disciples. And the truth is, is like my ultimate goal in being here, my ultimate goal in walking out a life for Jesus is not to please man but to make sure that new people know Christ daily, that the people who are around me who are seeking Christ have the opportunity and ability to know him better. So when we look at the series we've gone through, it's been to establish a foundation that changes the way that we operate to prepare us to receive new life. We've gone over that we have to be examples of this gospel, right? We were, we, we, we have a God who's alive and well, he gives us an identity. We, he gives us a place that we're not inactive. We're not just passengers on this bus. You know what I mean? Then we look at the second part is not only once we get people that we're supposed to have an experience of Jesus, but we actually, where we're already equipped and we're already, a lot of us are good at like is loving them. But we don't just love them on a Sunday. We got to love them in life. And so when we look at the position, the direction we've gone so far, it's been with the heartbeat to know that I am loving God with all my heart, just as you guys are. And we're loving each other with all we have as well. See, when we look at that, there's a place that some of us haven't been seen. There was a lot of people in this church who weren't seen. 
and Christ would have stopped, turned around and took the time to see them. So that's where we've been. And now, just like the series is called, is we've been given to give. And in that place where we've been given something, it's our time to turn out and seek life for people. To touch the lost. Just as our mission statement is, to love the lost into the family of God. It's a position where the call of Jesus is not just simply to consume, but the real places is, is that we each have to see the people in the middle of exactly where they're at and go to them, hold them and give them every opportunity. See, it's God's job to change them. It's our job to make them capable. Can I go to the next slide? So I just want to welcome everybody. Once again, we have a few new people, but like even I think we're live streaming too. So everybody on Facebook, YouTube, we say welcome. We want to connect with everyone. We, you also will see that there's a survey in your emails that we're talking about rooted communities. As we talked about last week, this rooted community is a place we actually get like, we're going to really invest. The truth is, is that like Sunday, we want to, challenge we want to feed we want ultimately this is if somebody comes on a sunday i want them to be challenged with something they don't know so that means that i'm not gonna just spoon feed everybody but what it also means is when you go to the small group you guys flush it out you get in each other's lives you say this is how we're going to implement it i'm going to protect you i believe for you i hope for you right And in that small community, then you can start being Jesus to an actual person by representing his character, his will, his heartbeat, his belief. But the truth is, is that that's Jesus will. When he said to Peter, he says, if you love me, feed my sheep, Peter, if you love me, I do Lord take care of my sheep. And that's our role. If we love Jesus, we have to take care of each other because the testimony is not how much you know the Bible. The testimony is how you love each other. All right, go to the next slide. So today we're talking about the discipleship, and it's such a big thing. The church has been talking about it for years. But the truth is, is that the church is in rapid decline other than churches that are focused on hands-on impact or mega churches, right? Because the church at large is decreasing by around 12 to 21% per year. That's steep. 12% at large, we're talking denominationally, not just single church. 12% it means that within like the next 60 years, certain denominations will be dead. The 21% decrease is specifically in regional, um, rural areas because people are dispersing economically. So I'm going to get nerdy with it because this is one of my heartbeats, as I said. When you start looking at the fact that mega churches are increasing, and so are what we call impact hands-on churches. Why is that? Because the world is looking for relationship. They're not looking for knowledge anymore. And the disperse of economical power is already saying you're not worth anything other than what you can be used for. And that's the message that is going forth unintentionally by the church. So we have to learn to say it differently. But we have to start with what the facts are. We are dealing with a gospel that is on foundation, is pure truth, is fact. That's our foundation. It's our truth. And it starts with that before creation... There was one true God. That one true God had everything. And before the foundations of time, he had a plan. He had a Christ who was slain even before the foundations of time. We see that throughout the New Testament. But then we go into creation. That with the power of his voice, he spoke into life. Every single thing. That it was him and him alone 
God. Of course, you know, we know that it's three in one. We know that. But the thing is, is that God, we see in Genesis, speak creation into life. We see that it took seven days. We see that there was man made perfectly in the image of God to reside in Eden, in paradise with God. And as man walked out life with God, he was given a helpmate. And that helpmate was not just to be a reflection of man, but it was to raise man up to complete the work of God. And she was to champion him, and he was to champion her in completing God's work. That's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. (laughs) But then the fall came, the lie came. And within that lie, the enemy spoke a partial truth and a lie at the same time. He said, this won't kill you. Well, it wouldn't kill them in body, but it would kill them in their spirit. So there was a truth and a lie in that moment. And they had been sold this place where everything was being held back. Held back from you. And they got bitten into the same thing that Satan had fallen into. The prideful act of deserving. Deserving more from a God who said that actually I'm giving you everything. And they fell. And shame came upon them. And that shame was a separation that no longer allowed them to be participants with God in relationship. I know you guys probably all know this information, but I wanted to go through these foundational points really quickly before I go on. So as a shameful place, God can't let them live in eternity like that. That's a curse. So even in punishment, but also in the hopes of salvation, he pushes them out of Eden. With the plan, the great plan to bring them back. And in that walk from them going from Egypt to going to Babylon, all of the exiles that they participated in, his hope was to bring them back to the place that they were God's people and he was their God. Bringing them back into identity and to holiness. So... We see that because they cannot do that, it's proven within the plan that happened before the beginning of time, there was a Messiah born immaculate birth. It was like there, there was no Joseph didn't get down. It was, it was God who made Mary pregnant. And within that it had been prophesied. We see story after story after story, the old Testament wrapping in to a, the new the new placement testifying of a Christ who is coming and everybody we see on the birth path of Christ when they heard they they gave their life to show that they believed we know that from his walk he walked perfect he walked loving he went through struggles he touched people he healed people he was for people but he was first for his god his father, his close one, his beloved. And in that place, he was totally unified with God, only doing what he saw him doing. And he was led by the Holy Spirit. Then he was infilled by the Holy Spirit in baptism. And we see a bunch of other things. Go to the next slide. As I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to give all the theology or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to give these foundations really quick. Before I go into things. So he's baptized in spirit filled. He goes to this place. We all know he's betrayed. Right? And as he's betrayed. Was it shocking to Jesus? No. But actually in fact what happens is. He dies. Like it was planned. He was broken. He was broken for our sin. He was broken. To return us. Back to relationship. To cancel out sin. But then that's not where the story ends. He's resurrected as we're resurrected with him. But it was in that place, that blood 
bought us forgiveness. It bought us grace. And ultimately, it reunifies us in relationship. And even going back to grace, it says that there is no sin that is too big that grace cannot cover. That's what the blood buys us. No matter how bad we think we are, it ain't bad enough. Then reunification, redemption, sanctified. There's a place where we are both being reunified. We're getting closer in relationship with God. And I pray for the day when he comes back and I'm with that. And I can see him in everything. I can just bask in his glory every moment. And in that moment, I'll know that not only... They, as they say, like, my soul has been redeemed, my spirit's been redeemed, my heart and my flesh is being redeemed, but I can't wait to the moment that I'm just totally redeemed and with God. And in that, it looks like something as I walk it out. As they say, <laughs> there is sanctification and, like, there is a, a whole sanctification, or how does this thing go? The main one that, that's on the holiness test. Entire sanctification. Which, I use the word kairos moment. There's the moment when God grabs a hold of you and changes you. And in that moment, you walk different. That's, that's a moment. You are a new creation. We see that throughout scripture. You'll see that throughout this. And in that new moment, you are moving in a new direction because that blood has bought you, that God has impacted you, he saved you, and he has the power to grab a hold of you and change everything about your testimony from then on. But the beautiful part is that that's not all there is. And my belief of sanctification, even what I see within the race that we're running, is that we're continually growing closer. We're looking more like Christ. We're spending every day coming closer to the glory of God. And hopefully we're, we're leading others to that glory. And that's that sanctification that we start participating with. But ultimately, we know that there's an eternity. We don't live for a finite moment. We live for an eternity. We're not saved to this flesh. We're saved to an eternity. To heaven. And that heaven will be glorious because it will be wrapped up in his presence. Go to the next slide. So all that to say, that was a lot of just of a bunch of stuff, but I, it's all foundational. These are the facts of what we believe. And for those who don't believe it yet, guess what? We got time. It's all good. And I'm not tripping. Neither is Jesus. He's going to win. So the thing is, is that when you look, what speaks louder? When we look at the slide, what jumps out at you louder? Old self. Why does old self stand out? It's yellow and it's uppercase. Everything's uppercase, right? In the same way, when we're walking out our lives, we see that theologically there's this defined line that comes into the New Testament that says we are, when we're saved and we're, we're brought into this, this life of Christ, we're reborn, there's a place we are, a new creation. And as new creations, we have to walk as a new self. We have to walk in a new way. We have to, our, we even, that new life has to be designated by our new father. Like our father who has now bore us in spirit. Right? And the truth is, is so as we walk it out, what is constantly yelling at us versus just speaking to us? Our old self, our past. And it says, this is what your life is. This is where you're at. Well, God's like, hey, you ain't helped by that. I ain't tripping. Come on. Let's just keep walking. And in that place, it, it, it's a place of character. When we come back to discipleship, I'm going to say it over and over again as we go through the series. It comes down to three things. Identity, character, outpouring. When discipleship, we see that he constantly, constantly is going over this, is, is that our identity is different than we think it is, and he's realigning us with an identity that's defined by him rather than defined by this world. Then he gives us a way to walk holy, and that character that reflects him, which is sinless, which he paid for, to enter back into relationship, 
And then the character that we all reflect and the identity that we are can only do one thing if it's going to be true to itself, outpour, because that's what our God does. He sees us. He loves us. He is for us. But it means that we have a battle going on. We have a battle versus that old, that history. We've all had stuff happen. We all have a past, whether good or not good. But the truth is, is the God who is now calling us forward, we have to be holy and obedient to. That is what it looks like to walk after God. If the people continued to try and honor Gideon's armor, they would have been destroyed. If the people would have continued to, to deny Christ because they were looking for a lion, would they have been saved? If we were still fighting for what we've known, would any of us be sitting here? No, because the truth is, is that where we're being called, where we're being identified as is more and more reflective of him and less reflective of us. Because his victories are new every day. Amen. And he saves. He saved me. Everybody say he saved me. And everybody who's online, I just say he can save you too. You know, that's my heartbeat. Go next slide. So we just went over the foundations of the gospel. Kind of really fast gospel overview again. We were created perfect. In that perfection, we fell. We fell into shame. Shame separated us because of sin, which is death. And in that place, God continued to try and save us, but he set out for a plan to bring us back into relationship by bringing the lamb who was perfect in every way. And as he came, as a man who actually experienced the things we've experienced, he still walked out in perfection. And as he walked out in perfection, he gave a perfect example of how to treat people, how to be like in this place of holiness in an imperfect world that's trying to defeat you. And as he did that, he then walked to the cross to die so that we'd have the same opportunity to be in relationship with God like he is and to then be resurrected. He was resurrected because he is God and came back as a champion over death. And in that place... He brought us the opportunity of grace and forgiveness. And we now, as we believe, we repent and believe and follow, have that same place where we get to participate with God because of our Christ Jesus, who is God and the Holy Spirit who guides us and brings us further into relationship. So that's the gospel. Boom. It looks different for everybody. That's what our gospel looks like. Our gospel is when we now take this and we say, this is not just, see this, our gospel is such a a thing that confuses us as Americans or even really the church, because what's happened is I've been sold so much on what a topic is. I've been sold so much that I have to honor the history of it. Which is true. I think that the gospel is beautiful. I think the gospel itself can transform everything. But what's interesting in the word is very few times do we not see somebody personalize their God. Very few times you see that they don't take ownership of their God. This is my God. When you hear me say that, it's because my God is what I'm standing here honoring. And in that place, I know that that's, that's rude. But I can't, I can't help it. All right. Like God made me kind of stubborn and and kind of fiery sometimes. But the thing is, is that what ends up happening is the gospel. Also, I have my gospel because the truth is my Jesus died for me. He saved me. He redeemed me. He asked me to repent. And when I repented, I stepped into forgiveness and grace and that forgiveness. Grace called me to be a new creation and that new creation walks different than the old. And guess what? I am now promised. I am promised eternity with my God to taste his glory. 
See, my gospel, our gospel, is where it's no longer just a story. It's no longer just beautiful facts. Each of you has flesh and bone stories of why God's real to you. It's not, it's not, we're no longer in this place where we're just talking about a God who is just like, thou art well. But instead, it's, it's a God who says, I see you. I see you in the middle of the miry pit. I see you struggling right now. I see you in front of the screen. I see you like doing whatever you're doing. There's a bunch of different struggles, even in this room. And the truth is, is even when people didn't see it, God saw it. And he hoped to save us right in the middle of where we were. And our gospel is a place where it's no longer a story that can just be held outside of us. But it's a God who sees you, hopes for you, and has a place to save you. Where the 99 were found, the one was lost, and Christ went after it. And that's a place where for us... Our heartbeat is always going to be. As long as I'm the leader here, that's where I'm going to be at. I'm going to be at the place where where's Jesus? And I know that Jesus is loving the lost. Next slide. So our gospel ends up in a place where we all have different stories. So there's the gospel and that's a foundational truth for all of us. It's the same. Boom. But the part that changes is where it impacts each individual where they are, where it says it's real. How has he been real to you? How has he impacted you? How and where has, is he having you grow? Because faith doesn't magically appear. Trust in Christ continues to grow. We have a funny idea that we are way more faithful than we are. The disciples struggled and they saw him every day. That's why we need community is because ultimately the disciples, if they didn't have Jesus there every moment, they would have went astray. And in that same place, me, you, we're no better. The truth is, is we might have an idea, but it takes trust. It takes us actually putting things at risk. It means reaching out to those people around us. And the truth is, is that for those of you guys who have had one-on-one meetings with me or group meeting with me, you know that I also believe it means putting our mess on the floor for us to be seen real quick. The reason why is because that's actually the testimony that God's saving. That's the testimony that God is here right now. That means my God is not dead. He is a rescuer. He's a redeemer. He's a reviver. And he's bringing me home. So what does he sound like and what character have you seen from him? That God looks like something. He sounds like something. I do believe God speaks. But even past that, I think when I hear people, when I look at Walt and the way that he loves people, even like he goes over to people, I know that God is that intentional. When I look at Arlene and the way that she touches people, and when she's like, she's just specifically speaking, she remembers. She remembers the facts of what people are going through. Alice and her cards and the calls that I hear that she's making. Cheryl and the way that she hosts people and cares for them. And she also remembers the facts. When I look at Tim and Tim is faithful and loyal. Like those things are characteristics. I start seeing when I see Luda in this silence in the service and the place where she's just over here, she's in it. She's in it. Like the thing is, is even when she doesn't get the recognition, she's still blessing. And in that place, is there anything that's more like Jesus' character than that? As Ruby knows, one of the things that testify the most of God to me that I see Ruby doing is what? Mopping the floor. (laughs) Mopping the floor. She gets down on her hands and knees and mops the floor. You wouldn't catch me dead on my knees on the floor mopping. Like, (laughs) like, 
but the thing is, is she doesn't. I just, she has this big smile on her face while she's doing it. She has joy serving God. I look around and I can see testimonies from all these people in here that I know. And if I don't know you yet, I'm looking forward to getting to know you. But the character of God is alive and he looks like something. Are you looking? Go to the next slide. So it's that time of the sermon. <laughs> His story, our testimony. Within that gospel, it's alive. What's your testimony? Who's coming up? been wanting me to share for quite a while and I just have so many thoughts but um, I'm just so thankful that he is patient and that he is faithful. I just say our faithfulness, we have no clue but God is so faithful to us and giving us the things we need even when we don't know we need them and uh, I just thank him for the people he has put in my life um, a lot of the the ones from my past and the new ones and the things that that they're helping me to do and achieve that I didn't think would ever happen. And uh, and then I also want to thank God for His timing with my husband last weekend. It just blows your mind all the little things and the little steps and the the way it worked out that uh, could have ended up so different. But God was in control, and God knew what he needed, and uh, it was all well. And it just, there aren't any words, you know, it's of how great God is. It's just totally past me. Amen. Anybody else? Let me get one more. Ruby, you're fire. Love you. All right, let's go, man. That means it's good. It's really good. Uh, I just want to uh, thank God for the sign that he's brought in me for the past couple of years. Because if it wasn't for God trying to show me something right now, and it has been showing me the fact that basically what I've been looking for is right in front of my face now. And what's the path that I've been trying to find to get to heaven it seemed like a fog, but now God has been showing it to me every day and brought me to the right people to help me work on myself and make myself a better person and a better me. And I just want to thank God for that. Amen. Woo-hoo. See, God is working. That's the testimony of God right there. These two individuals are being impacted by a living God. So, yep, we love you, Mike. <laughs> we love Mike. God's working with Mike, too. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, next slide, real quick. So, I'm going to kind of make this abridged version. So pretty much my gospel, remember, I just went through all of that about the gospel. My gospel is he reached into the darkness where I had made myself an enemy, where I was entrenched and I have every reason to be judged. And I judged myself plenty and I was waiting for the day of death to come. And in that place, he reached in and he saved me and he asked me to walk different and he gave me every opportunity to walk different. And he took away every excuse I had to be the same. And what that breaks down to is that Jesus died for my sin so that I could be different and be with him. And he believed more than me. And if he could save me, he can save anybody. And that's my belief. When we look at Glenfair, I've read a lot about our history. I've read a lot about the evangelical church. 
And the beautiful thing, as I've read more and more, did you guys know that this movement started as house churches? I'm all about that. Did you know that this was all built around discipleship and evangelism? That's what this movement was built around. Mass evangelism. Mass discipleship. That's its testimony. Of the God that moves and is holy and good. That's the testimony. There's a, there's a stained glass window out there. Uh, flowers. It was somebody who died, but it was one of the first baptisms that happened here in this building. The truth is we were going to do a baptism today, but like a lot of the people that sometimes it, it doesn't happen, you know, but the truth is, is that for me, we're in a new season, but we're going back to an old testimony. We're going back to an old testimony of mass evangelism and mass discipleship. Our first heartbeat is not to sustain behind walls, but to go back to touching the lost. We're back to a place where the foundation is the gospel. I'm not tickling your ears. It might make people mad, but at the end of the day, I'm going to be standing before a God and he's a lot more scary than any individual or any paying job. And as we share his story, the truth is, is we're part of his history because the truth is, is that his story is going to go whether I choose to or not. The only truth is, is did I glorify him on my walk along the way? Okay, go to the next slide. So this is where I'm going to start zooming a little bit just to let you guys know. Okay, formula evangelism is this place where they have a set style of evangelism. We look at that there's all sorts of forms. There's knocking at the door. There's a million of them. But the beautiful thing is, guess what? You're just using people because you're trying to sell something. And even though that it, it comes with good intentions, it's great intentions, and you're really trying really hard to do something, the truth is it really never recognized the people, which means that the people can feel it, especially nowadays. Before, it worked actually really well, and I know a lot of people who know Jesus off of this formula from back in the day, but it does not work very well anymore. Because the truth is, is that people are very astute to when they're being used now, because we're being sold something every moment. And that formula says that you need what I got. I don't need what you got. But ultimately, God is a living God who can use even a donkey to speak. So who are we to say that we don't need what they have? So relational evangelism is the saying, I'm living a life out. We don't see anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus had an intention to go and say, hey, Go to God. No, he was walking out every moment in total allegiance and unity with God. And as he walked in total allegiance and unity with God and holiness, doing what he said, he had relationships. And guess what those relationships did? It brought those people directly into relationship with God. Because if you're in unity and allegiance with God, being in relationship with people just says, I see you. And guess what? My God sees you and he's real. He's alive. If he can save me, he can save you. His character looks like something. And guess what? I'm going to do everything I can to be an example of that. Relational evangelism is us walking out, looking like Jesus, being for the things Jesus is for, and us continuing to be excellent. And it always leads to, go to the next slide discipleship. So evangelism sales, this, this formula, I might step on some toes. I think the sinner's prayer is a great idea, but my only problem where I have a problem with it, I don't see Jesus lead us to that. Scripturally, I see him give one command 
to everybody who believed. Follow me. He constantly brought people to repent, turn away, and follow me. So when I think of the strategy of how my salvation I'm hoping is built off of because I see that, is it actually is me giving my life to Jesus and my belief is actually tested in its fruit. And that fruit is based off of if I'm turning away from the things I did before to believe and trust in a God who is real. So in this place, the sinner prayer might be a place that is a great tool. As I said, I know a lot of people who are saved off of it. But the truth is, is that a sinner prayer alone does not lead people to be submitted and totally founded in God. It takes a real experience. It takes evangelism. But then it ultimately takes discipleship to say, I'm walking with you. You're not alone. Go to the next slide. My favorite story, which we started with. The woman at the well shows up midday. It shows that she has an identity. It shows that she sees herself in shame, right? And then what happens is that God sees her. Jesus sees her. He identifies her. He says, yo, I'm just joking. <laughs> but the thing is, is what does she ask him for? What is she there for? Water. And in that place, when, when he, does he offer her water? No. He offers her what she really needs. And then as he has her and it impacts her. So first, he, he, he sees an identity. He's going to speak to that identity. Second, he does not address her wants. He addresses her needs first. That means not judging rooted situations. He has not rebuked her for having sex with other men. I mean, yeah. And he's not rebuked her for all these different things. It sounded weird, that coming out of my mouth. But, <laughs> but um, he's not rebuked her for sin yet. He's identified an identity. Then he is given what she needs, not what she wants. And then he follows up by giving her a character and a how to live. He's like, repent! Change! Don't walk in sin no more. And this is how you walk. Go! And then he sends her out to outpour, to live it out, to live out what she walks, testify. But then the part that almost everybody forgets is to have a home to come back to. At the end of the story, she comes back to him to be refilled. And in that same place, discipleship consists of this for us. Fighting the old identity, going to the new identity. Not just going after the roots, but actually going after what all of us need, which is Christ. Building character, repenting, sanctifying, walking away from what is holding us in bondage. And then learning how to walk it out in all the categories of our life. But you don't sit there. You got to then outpour it. Be real, you know? It's like, that's where we go eat. That's where we go do things. We go outpour. You care for somebody. And then come home. Don't be like a wild child. Come home. Okay, next slide. I know I'm going fast. I want you guys to know it's not about how perfect your words are, but how authentic your heart is. The truth is, is a lot of us make the excuse, well, I don't know. I don't have the right words. I don't know how to connect. But the truth is, if I come over here to this brother right now, and I just sat down, we started talking about just whatever. The truth is, is that me acknowledging and being with him, we're cool, you know? It's not like I got to make it some big thing. It's not like I got to know how to speak another language. It's that I got to identify a person. Say, I see you. I'm for you. And quit pretending like we're better than we are. But the truth is, is when I look at this church... This church right here. I'm really excited because God's moving. And then there's some people who don't want to come right now. And the truth is, is that I get it. But one of the big things you have to know about my heart, even though I'm pushing forward hard, I'm not dishonoring you. I don't want to dishonor you. 
ultimately, I'm actually excited because it's the chance we need you. I'm going to bring plenty of people. My heart is going to reach out, grab a hold of people, but I need people who are going to love them. And guess who's perfect? Somebody who's walked with Jesus. You guys are up for the batting cage. You guys ready to hit? That's why we need to be prepared as disciples. We need the old and the young. Us young people, we better get our working pants on. It's time to go. But who's prepping the house? Who's going to take care of the house? That's the call. We have the chance to be a family. And we need all of us on board. The field has plenty, but the workers are few. I know I say verses funny sometimes, but it's, it's what happens when you've been hit in the head too many times. Uh, okay, <laughs> next slide. So the categories of how far discipleship goes. As I said, the young, we got to get out there touching, growing, moving. I think the old got to do it too. But the truth is, is that there is a wisdom that comes from the old. There's a place that comes. We have to dream. We have to believe. But these categories are a key part to learning to live as God's people. So as we disciple, these are the things that are included in that. Spiritual growth, that includes praying, that includes reading the word. But even more than that, how to walk out spiritual aspects. Amen? The next part is, if you're not good to your family, we have to grow at that. If you don't have a family, we got to work with that. Because the truth is, is that we're your family. So we have to learn how to do that. Then we have to learn about finances. We have to, that's a real place of discipleship is how to deal with money, how to give it to God, how to use it not as a worship, but actually as a place to, to really glorify God. I can say a lot about this. Professional. Every aspect of our life is supposed to glorify God. And guess where that's also supposed to go? The way we minister, the way we work. The physical is our mental, physical, everything within our actual being. Leadership. Guess what? Whether you see it or not, everybody's called to be a discipler. So there's a leader in every single one of you. And you have to learn how that leader is supposed to come out. How do you glorify God? And the final one, which is the hardest part of discipleship, by far. I've discipled a lot of people. History and identity is the hardest part. Getting people to recognize that the past is no longer true. And that they are a new creation. And there's new ways they can identify themselves. We need you all. We need everybody. If you're on to realigning to that old testimony, buy in. If you're in for the kingdom of God, buy in. Next slide. If you are hoping to see somebody change, buy in. These rooted communities are going to be key to doing that. It's a way to get those training wheels on. It's like tithing, right? Tithing's only like training wheels to actually giving everything up. See, the application of the gospel and discipleship actually means you learning to walk out God and walk out God's call on your life and be like Jesus was to the disciples. Seeing a lot of hot mess people around him and continuing to carry them to the finish line. But look how great the things they did were. It just takes one sacrifice. The truth is, is that we don't have to be excellent with every answer. We just have to be the example. But the implications are amazing. The implication is you don't have to be perfect because our God is. It means that you don't have to be enough because our God has already stated he is. For us to represent this gospel is us to put our pride down, our wisdom, our knowledge, and get the opportunity to represent that a God saves, he's faithful, he's good, and he wants more from us. We need you all, but you all need Jesus. And at the end of the day, go ahead and go to the next last slide. 
I want you to know that this is your story that each of you are walking out. Wherever you are, there's a story and there's a champion coming into your life. It's not me. It's Jesus. And he's come to save the day. He's come to change the whole narrative of the story. You're no longer stuck in a tower. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer broken. But you actually, just like the blind man who had spit put in his eyes, who was born blind, right? You now see. We want to be so transformed as a people that people even question if we're the same people. We don't want to settle for mediocrity. That's not enough for me. Will you guys close your eyes with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're a champion. We thank you that you're good. We thank you that you're powerful. We thank you that you have died on a cross, tattered, broken, bleeding. But the beautiful part is, is that you also resurrected and climbed out of that grave. Lord, I thank you that that, that tomb is empty today. It's empty because you left it. And Lord, that just like that tomb is empty, so is my grave. Because you have grabbed a hold of me and you saved me. Lord, I pray that over all of us today, that you grab a hold of our hearts. And we, like willing listeners, would uncup our ears and release ourselves to be taken by you. Lord, I pray that we would no longer just pray prayers to blank walls, but that we would ultimately be following you, Jesus. That we would put down and break our oxen, our oxen trails. I forgot what it's called right now, but you know what I'm saying, God. And you break our ways of doing things that allow us to go back. And we would move forward with you and be re-identified and walk out the kingdom and be radically known by you and be radically known by the world for how we love, Lord. That we were not known by how our judgments were like the Pharisees, but we would be known how we love you. I pray for John the Baptist's in this church and I pray for also John and, and Peter's. And, but even more, I pray for Mary's. Marys who just are willing to sit and wait on God and then go do whatever he tells them to do. Lord, I thank you for the body and family you've given me. Lord, I, I know that I'm a train sometimes that just goes where he's going because you're leading me on my track. But Lord, I pray that as we all go into this field to save the lost, we all see that it's his story, not ours. Our testimony is what the world is waiting for. People saved and submitted to God. Pray these things in your name. Amen.